Hello and welcome to the Overly Animated Podcast, where we take animation seriously. We provide fan-oriented and analytic discussions on a variety of animated shows, movies, and anime, including Steven Universe, Gravity Falls, and Rick and Morty. I'm Dylan Heisen, and uh, today I'm going solo talking about uh, the Studio Ghibli 1995 film Whisper of the Heart. Uh, this is probably the only time that I will be doing a solo podcast on uh, for, you know, probably for anything, but uh, I thought this was a good time to experiment with the uh, solo discussion uh, format, which is not really a thing. This is going to be more of a personal monologues rather than our typical discussion format. Um, but this is the best topic to do the, to try this out for. I've been wanting to try it for a while. And uh, today I'll be, you know, talking about Whisper of the Heart. Uh, which is my favorite film of all time. So this is definitely the best uh, choice for for trying this out. And it's a film I have a ton to say about. It's very, it's extremely interesting. There's a lot of, I mean, the movie itself, a lot of people would not find extremely interesting, but I do. And uh, there's a lot going on around it. I mean, today I'm going to talk about uh, my personal feelings for this film, um, how they've changed over time, because I've kind of called this film my my favorite for like 10 years and I've been a changing person since then. I've, I haven't seen it in, you know, four or so years. So what were my feelings on it on this rewatch? Um, I'm going to talk about the film itself and all the various different elements of it, which are extremely interesting. The historic, historical, um, background of this film, um, which was kind of a big pivot point in studio Ghibli's history. Uh, this is going, this is a great time to get into subs versus dubs. Uh, this film has one of the most controversial dubs of all time. I've, I've, uh, heard it been called the worst dub of all time. Spoiler alert. I heavily disagree with that, but, uh, it's an inter- very interesting topic relating to Whisper of the Heart and I'll get into that. Uh, and I really want to discuss the main character, Suzuku Shukushima, who is, uh, one of my favorite, uh, protagonists or just characters of uh, in any film and yeah so overlyanimated.com is where you can find out everything about this podcast uh normally there is more than just me on if this is your first time listening and uh we are go- trying to go through every uh, studio ghibli film in addition to every pixar one um and we're almost getting there kind of in terms of the non-miyazaki films uh that's one thing to bring up to start is that this is a non-miyazaki Studio Ghibli film, although I would say this is the most heavily Miyazaki and non-Miyazaki film. He wrote and storyboarded this entire film. So that is basically just heavily involved in both the writing side and the direction side. Ultimately, this movie is directed by Yoshifumi Kondo in his only directorial uh, work for Studio Ghibli, unfortunately, because he shortly passed away after production of this film ended. And it was extremely tragic, especially for... Studio Ghibli and the history of it because uh, Miyazaki was trying to take his foot off the you know the throttle at this point in terms of production production uh, in Studio Ghibli and also uh, Takahata. Um, They're trying to you know turn over the the company to a younger generation and Kondo was their first choice. He'd worked on um, other films in in uh, other Miyazaki films and Studio Ghibli films in general, and he was extremely talented. I mean, you can see it on display here. This is this film is incredibly gorgeous. It is wonderfully paced and directed. I have absolutely nothing bad to say about uh, about uh, any any of the direction work on here. Um, it's it's like a lot of people would criticize it for being slow, but I feel like it is purposely slow and... Um, and it just it functions very well as a really low key 
um, relaxing kind of film. I'll come up with a better description for that as we go on. But yeah, he so the plan was Kondo was going to become the main director of Studio Ghibli after this. And uh, he he passed away after it. And that kind of uh, had a big impact on Miyazaki, who said, wow, this guy was um, working incredibly hard on Whisper of the Heart. And he probably died from that. I mean, that's a very Japanese way of looking at what happened. But uh, it's probably what, the, apparently that was his diagnosis, was uh, he worked too much and uh, he was overexerted. And so that caused Miyazaki's first retirement, uh, that exact thing, um, first of many. And then he came back for Spirited Away. Um and since then, this also probably prompted the shift to digital for Studio Ghibli. Miyazaki finally relents. Uh, the uh, Princess Mononoke is the last major uh, hand-drawn animated release, like purely hand-drawn without any computer use in uh, in the world, I think. At least that's what I've heard. Um, and that's just incredibly exhausting to produce. Miyazaki just and uh, Kondo and everyone else at Studio Ghibli just spends all their time uh hand drawing literally everything um and they're the last you know kind of stagnant non-changers in uh in the animation department there and then Miyazaki comes back for Spirited Away and he relents and he goes digital and um he's able to keep producing movies for some time after that until his recent retirement now um so there's the big background surrounding Whisper of the Heart um it's yeah, lost in all of that is i think this is uh, an incredible classic I've called this film, Whisper of the Heart, uh, the queen of slice of life films. And uh, I I would like to affirm that belief after seeing it again. It is the most slice of lifey thing in <laughs> that I have ever seen. Uh, let me define terms slice of life. Uh, a movie that purely takes place in uh, the actual world. There's no fantasy elements. Um, and it's just kind of a low-key... Uh, some people would say trudging or like uh, it's I don't view it as a negative but it's just very slow paced uh, low-key just you know slice a literal slice of someone's life the main characters right and this is this is the biggest one of them all here we have the main character Shizuku and uh, the first hour of this film is uh, not really about anything and it's just uh, about Shizuku's life and establishing her for this last for the second hour which then becomes uh kind of a romance movie kind of a uh personal uh journey type movie which is related to the romance in really interesting ways which i think it does better than probably any other film ever um one of the main themes of this uh of this film, which is an extremely Japanese theme, which is trying to uh, improve yourself and do your best for the person closest to you. Um, which, uh, and I say, I've, I've probably said very Japanese twice now. Um, it's not really stereotyping. It's just there's multiple, it's just a different cultural type thing. Uh, the concept of uh, ganbare, which is like doing your best uh, in uh, Japan is extremely, you hear that all the time in any work from Japan. Do your best. And uh, it's just something that doesn't really resonate here. But that's like encouragement there is uh, always wanting to strive and improve yourself. And um, it's it's like fully on display here. Very, a very, a very like Japan specific uh, view of a romance, 
Uh, also, you could argue it's not really about the romance, more about Shizuku's personal journey, which is how I saw it this time. Um, in the past, I've thought that this was uh, an incredible romantic film. And uh, since then, uh, that was kind of my view on it in... In you know, in my high school years, early early high school years, when I was really in getting into all of the Studio Ghibli and Miyazaki films, and I was really into um, romances like oh, love, you know, like the typical. Normally, it's like a teenage girl type thing, but I, that was for me in the in all the personal media that I was consuming. And uh, since then, I really don't have that perspective anymore. I mean, I still appreciate romances in films. Um, one of the big aspects is that. Uh, I've kind of broadened my worldview to include non-heterosexual romances, and uh, it's it kind of is a game changer because a lot of these uh, heterosexual romances are kind of predicated on like this innate forces of love between a boy and a girl, and uh, you just it to me that's just not that's that's something that I've shifted my perspective on. I still I still am really into like the bond element of romances, like the the relationship to people's uh, bond, not as much into the mystical kind of uh, any sort of predetermined type thing, which is a little bit on display in this movie. So it's a little conflicting for me watching it again. Um, it's because Shizuku and uh, Seiji are, I don't know, it's 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 uh, weird. They, a, a little bit in the first half of this film is like, uh, it's it's like a teen film and the and like the leading up to of boy meets girl and kind of everything that goes into that. Uh, by the way, someone keep track of how many times I say uh because that normally annoys me on the podcast. Um, and now I'm the only one talking, so of course it's probably like fifty or above. Uh, but anyway, so yeah, I mean, there's a few ways to a few ways to view the first hour of this film. The whole like. Uh, uh, let's not use the word that I'm thinking of using, but the pre-romance period of um, Chizuku and uh, Seiji, which uh, you could view as like um, this kind of mystical predetermined period of them meeting each other and stuff. Of course, we learn later that it's not really predetermined. It's Seiji kind of uh, trying to take action of some sort. But uh, the way I viewed it this time was more of this is just very much like young people like children uh, how they handle like feelings for one another the whole elementary schoolers you know like teasing the guy teases the girl who uh he likes right that's almost how i view seiji's actions now in the beginning and i think that's kind of how it's supposed to be they're not that young i mean the characters in this film i'm pretty sure are supposed to be in the equivalent of our ninth grade because in japan high school begins in 10th grade and goes 10th 11th 12th middle school goes up to ninth um and of course, also in this movie, you, you see on display the fact that high school is something you have to like get into in Japan. It's not just something uh, that you just instantly go into. You have to like take a test, get into a high school. It's almost like college for us, but they also have college as a university. Um, yeah, so, okay, well, I'll get back to that. I wanted to mention, I, I kind of got started getting into things fast and I thought we're already at 11 minutes here. Uh, it's... Uh, I watched this film subbed this time. Um, in the past, I have almost exclusively watched the dub of this film. I had seen the sub. I had seen the sub before, um, but uh, th- I mean, this is you know, as my favorite film, I've probably seen it. You know, this I've probably seen the dub five or more times, and I've seen the sub once before, and now I'm watching the sub again because that's another different perspective. Perspective change that I have now is that uh, duh. I've rather watched subs now, even for Miyazaki films. 
which is which I don't think is right. I also don't think it's wrong. It's just Miyazaki has said that he'd prefer to you prefer uh, people to watch his films in their native language. Um, and I think that that is a really valid approach, especially for fantasy films. But for me, I've talked about this before on the podcast, slice of life films. I just get a lot out of watching it in the native language because you see you pick up on Japanese cultural elements that you, that are lost in the dub. Uh, some can't be translated over and some are specifically taken out uh, to make it more relatable for American audiences, which gets into the big changes that uh, this film made. The dub of this film, okay, I have a lot of love for the dub of this film. Shizuku in the dub is voiced by Brittany Snow, um, who everyone knows now is uh, being in the Pitch Perfect films, and I love her as Shizuku. It's She's so wonderful. Um, Yoko Hona's voice, uh, the original Shizuku voice, um, is a little different. Uh, it's I almost view Brittany Snow as the original because I've seen, it, seen her as her more, and that's my perception. Um, I think watching it again, I, I really like how I view the film uh, with uh, Yoko's uh, Japanese voice in there, because I think the main difference I feel like is that uh, Yoko's voice sounds younger than Britney's voice in the Shizuku role. And I feel, I really feel like, okay, apparently 14 years old, Shizuku says Wikipedia, 14, 15, ninth grade period. Yeah. I feel like this film, at least the way I want to view it now is as Shizuku as a child, (laughs) because I mean, that's kind of what she really is. This is a coming of age, finding yourself type movie for Shizuku. And uh, Brittany Snow's voice maybe makes her sound a little bit older. I still obviously love her in that role, as I said. But anyway, the main changes of this film are at the end in kind of this iconic ending scene. Iconic to who? To me, I guess. I don't know who else loves this film other than me. Uh, where Shizuku and Seiji are on uh, whatever cliff watching the sunrise uh, come up and it's like the clouds are obscuring the or the mist is obscuring the city and it's like it's an uh, ocean and it's this, these great visuals. Um, the, this, the English dub and changes how the movie ends. Uh, it's, it's very odd because before that, this film, the dub does everything right for this film um it it is just so on point in terms of what they're saying almost exactly uh it's i mean i the, only, the big change i noticed this time is that one of my favorite uh britney snow line reads from the dub when um her older sister throws her down the letter to mail um the dub said uh, the dub in the dub shizuku says it's a love letter isn't it and i always remember how she reads that because it's great and then um in the sub apparently she's saying uh your boyfriend so i mean it's the same thing right but like that's the t- only that's the biggest change i noticed uh before the ending is uh just saying things in a slightly different way most of the time they're saying things almost exactly i mean of course we got to get into the country roads part of this in a second but uh at the end um the the two main differences so at the end of the the original sub Seiji actually proposes to Shizuku, basically. I mean, it's not a real proposal, but uh, Seiji says, will you marry me, right? So that's a literal proposal. Um, In the sub, Seiji says, can you see us getting married one day? So that's a pretty big difference, even if it's a pretty similar line of dialogue. Now, why is this 14-year-old asking um, Shizuku to marry him in the original? Uh, well, Miyazaki, in one of the most old person things I've ever heard, 
uh, explains that uh, young people these days never commit to anything, and I wanted Seiji to actually commit to something. That's basically his almost his exact uh, quote from when he gets asked about that. Uh, that's such a Miyazaki and thing thing to say. Um, just also just such an old person thing to say. It's uh, also it's something that would not make sense in the United States, I believe. So I can understand why they changed it. Uh, I don't know if this makes any sense in Japan, but it seems more realistic in terms of young people committing to each other. Uh, just the entire Japanese like school love system is much more committal. It seems like you know the whole. Uh, you, if you have a crush on someone, you give them a love letter and then they accept and then you're like dating. <laughs> it's 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 much more formal and committal than um, anything here. Um, to me, it seems a little silly, but, you know, it's different. It's different cultural things. And uh, you could just see it, uh, it. It seems just much more like things happen and that's how they are type thing. So that, I think that makes more sense there. Um, I don't have a I don't have a lot of problems changing it to could you see us getting married someday? I also think it's kind of in the spirit of that line. Uh because they're not actually getting married, it's just uh they're could you see us getting married? The, it, the, okay, so that being said, it relates to the second one, the second big change, which is Seiji's fate at the end of the film. Um in the original uh sub or yeah subtitles yes seiji says i am he doesn't say anything the dub adds something in uh what happens is in the original seiji is going he's back for a little bit he accepts the uh the uh, effort to make violence in italy and goes uh you know and in the future it's implied that he's going back for 10 years says shizuku earlier um, he's going to come back to to graduate uh, middle school and then 10 years until he's going to be back in japan again so that's insane, right? That's That also makes more sense in terms of why he's proposing now, because he's not going to see her again for 10 years. Um, and of course, the intent is that they're going to write and encourage each other, as uh, Shizuku's friend says, um, all all the time. Um, and at the end, Shizuku says that's what she wants. Uh, in the, the dub changes this to... Seiji, they add a line. I think when they're riding the bike up to the hill, I I didn't rewatch the dub for this, but Seiji says, "I'm coming. I'm gonna stay for high school, and then when I graduate high school, I'll go and do the apprenticeship in Italy." Um, so in that version, they're gonna be together for four more years before he goes off. So if you're gonna, so like if the, it's probably that they decided to change that line, and then the married thing came after that. Um, because if they're staying, then them getting married right now doesn't make sense because they can't. And, or, I mean, I don't know marriage laws in Japan, but theoretically they would not. And, uh, if they are, if he's going now, then you can say commit to, and you can get engaged and then get married when he comes back in 10 years. That makes sense. So I don't have issue with the marriage line. The Seiji leaving thing, uh, I don't understand why they did it culturally. Um, I can only imagine that they did it because he is, uh, because they wanted, they would view that as kind of a depressing ending, uh, to have your male lead in a romance just be gone for 10 years. And they wanted it to be, to capture kind of the spirit of a happy ending, which it was. So maybe, maybe they thought the, uh, will encourage each other from long distance would not translate as happily in Japan as it would here. Um... This one I'm not as as thrilled with. Uh, personally, I don't, 
I mean, uh, my personal, how I personally view the film, I kind of like the way it ends in English more in terms of what I would prefer to happen to have all the characters be happy. But I don't like changing the intent of the film just because it will make your audience happier. That's kind of not the point. Uh, that you're kind of losing this uh, message of um, self-improvement and um, finding yourself at the end. And you're kind of making it more about the romance, I think. I think the dub tries to make it more of a romance. Um, and the su- and in the sub, uh, it's more of this story of Shizuku finding herself, culminating with her still being alone for 10 more years, although having someone um, long distance to talk to and stuff like that. And... I really just, I, I don't love that change specifically. Uh, that being said, as even though this is the most major part of the film, the ending, in any other film, this would be a minor scene, right? This is the biggest plot development in this film because nothing happens. But uh, but in here, it's kind of big. And even though we're changing like the climax of the film, it's, it's not the worst because the film still mostly plays the same. So I still do really love the dub. Uh, despite of the plot change, unnecessary plot change at the end involving Seiji's fate. And I love kind of all the voices involved in it. Um, Ashley Tisdale plays uh, Yuko, uh, Shizuku's friend, and she does a wonderful job in that. And uh, Brittany, Brittany Snow and Ashley Tisdale together, there's the one scene where they're singing uh, Shizuku's lyrics to Country Rose, which I'll talk about in a minute. And uh, it's really wonderful. And I got the sense, I actually maybe love that scene more in english like i it's also good in in japanese and it's the same thing them singing together and it's really wonderful uh but it's almost like you get you totally get the sense of their uh best friendsness in in japanese or in, uh, in english with uh with the dub so in conclusion the dub i think is good it's one it's despite the change at the end i think it's one of the better dubs i've i've seen it's in fact i think the a lot of the voice actors have captured their Japanese counterparts so exactly that I honestly couldn't tell the difference between um, a lot of these performances. I think Shizuku sounds slightly different, and I think almost all of the rest of them are like exactly the same. Even Ashley Tisdale, who does a wonderful job as Yuko. Uh, so a lot of props, uh, you know, on on the dub for this for those all involved with it. Uh, the la- the not- other notable thing about this film being in English is the use of. Uh, John Denver's Take Me Home Country Roads, which is, I mean, I haven't even talked about that. We're 20 minutes in. I haven't talked about that element of the film. It's just integral to the film, this uh, John Denver folk song. Um, I don't even know when the song came out. In 1971, uh, the film takes place in 1994, and it's released in 1995 in Japan. Uh, and it's uh, how odd to have this... Uh, John Denver song be uh, the theme song, the ending credits used in the film, sung by the characters. And here's the oddest part is the dub. Uh, so in the su- okay, in the original of the film, they're singing Country Roads translated from English to Japanese. And they're singing, the characters are singing it. Um, they use a version of it, uh, not John Denver's version in the opening credits. Uh, do they have, do they use the English version in the opening credits? I think so. They use... Um, Olivia Newton-John's cover in the opening credits, and then they have uh, they have Yoko Ohona's uh, singing it in the end credits, I believe. And um, so in the in the sub in the original Japanese, they're singing "Country Roads" translated from English to Japanese. In the dub, they are singing "Country Roads" translated originally in English to Japanese, and now back to English. <laughs> 
because they kind of make Shizuku like changes the lyrics and stuff for what she's writing for their class song or whatever. And uh, what like what an experience watching this film in English where the original song is from translated to and from Japanese. Uh, it's very odd that this is kind of the theme song of this film, but it's so charming and it's like one of the it's 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 I don't know it's not integral to the film, but it's so awesome and uh, interesting um, and such a notable part of the film. Uh, you kind of forget about it at some point because that's part of this like first half establishment. Maybe you could argue that this film takes too long establishing everything, too long expositionally, but I think it's just so integral to introduce Shizuku and Shizuku's world in such a kind of excruciating fashion. I don't think it's excruciating, but uh, this film, 111 minutes, so under two hours. This is the longest two-hour film I have ever seen in my life. Uh, this is the most bang for your buck you will get watching any movie because I I was blown away when I looked this up recently. I swear this movie was three hours, but it is not. It is under two, and I don't know how that works. Um, this first half of the film, to me, the highlight... One of my favorite sequences in this is Shizuku taking the train, meeting who we later learn is Moon the cat, and then following him uh, to the uh, and, and Seiji's grandpa's place. It ends up being and um, her talking to. I always want to call Seiji's grandpa the Baron, even though that's the cat statue. I just he doesn't really have a name in the film. He, I mean, his Nishi uh, is his uh, surname, and we know that. Because uh, there's confusion with it, and uh, it's uh, and I, I just I love the exploration of this scene. It's like Shizuku uh, going, just discovering this new wondrous place. Uh, you can tell this is the best job at conveying her kind of sense of wonder and exploration, and like loving like stories in the beginning of a story. And this just succeeds so well in doing all of that. Uh, just I love how they portray the cat. I love how Shizuku follows the cat on her, her interactions with the cat on the train. It's like, does he know what he's doing? I guess he got out at the right stop. I mean, I, this film really only has one fantasy sequence, um, and it's intentionally. I mean, it's split into three parts, but it's uh, from Shizuku's book, which is, ends up being called Whisper of the Heart, the title of the film. And uh, it's, it's uh, but this scene is almost a fantasy scene because, like, how does a cat know where it's going on the on the train? Uh, but then it ends up just following. You could almost, I wonder if this is almost realistic because it seems like the cat notices the landmark and then knows to get off at the next one. Um, at least that's, I feel like the, the film almost tries to make it realistic. Like a lot of props to Kondo and Miyazaki for that. It's, it, I, I buy it actually, despite the fact that it makes no sense. And just the entire thing with the clock and the story between like the dwarf, uh, king and the fairy princess, then... Shizuku's wonder at that and her interactions with uh, the grandpa, a.k.a. Baron, who I will now refer to as Baron, for that's the time, even though Baron is a different character. And uh, it, that's just so wonderful. It's the film at its slowest, and it's also the film at its best, I think. Um, the other kind of uh, parts, notable parts about the beginning is everything with... Uh, What's his name? The uh, the male whatever who the friend likes and then the male student who the friend likes and then ends up liking Shizuku and everything, Sujimura, and then everything around Sujimura. So I think this is the weakest part of the film. Um, it's fine until we have the kind of confession scene between Shizuku and Sujimura, and I feel like I didn't love that scene. I don't know if I... It's always kind of been one of the weaker parts because it's not involved... It doesn't involve the main romance. It doesn't involve... 
um, Shizuku finding herself, it kind of, it, I think it's, an, I don't know if it's a necessary part of the film, but I understand how it functions for Shizuku's character. Um, I don't love Sujimura's actions in the scene. It's not great. But uh, also, it, uh, it does a lot for kind of building up to where we're going with uh, Shizuku and her being lost. And it's like, how does she react to that? Um, how she relates to everyone around her and stuff like that. So, I don't know. Those are notable parts at the beginning. Everything with uh, Shizuku and Yuko's... Uh, like I said, them singing together and stuff like that in the beginning is all wonderful. Shizuku's interactions with her older sister and her parents, they're all just extremely realistic, of course. Studio Ghibli does an incredible job always with that kind of uh, establishing uh, just realistic portrayals of family relationships. Always does a great job. Um, Then we have the second half, uh, and we have the extremely quick kind of... uh, bonding between the Suzuku and Seiji. Of course, we have the setup with him checking out all the same books as her, and we have uh, him teasing her. Uh, and then uh, one time, the first interaction, uh, when uh, he says, uh, lose uh, the concrete roads. The Suzuku con- writing concrete roads is so wonderful, by the way, that sequence, and then laughing together when they're singing it. And then uh, he says that, and then she goes home saying... Um, I think the Japanese was a jerk, and then in English, it's stupid jerk, stupid jerk, stupid jerk. I definitely remember that part, uh, which I guess they that's like a translation type thing because it needs to be in the match the number of syllables because she keeps saying the cadence of it over and over, right? Uh, and uh, Shizuku being so thrown off by that and stuff like that, but that's all kind of... it's all It ends up being all just so irrelevant, right, in terms of them just jumping off so quickly into their relationship. It... Uh, it's it's probably necessary for them to feel so comfortable with each other right away. They feel like they had this courtship, even though it was just this like very young school kids uh, teasing each other type courtship type thing. And uh, but then once we get the scene with um, Shizuku is sitting, you know, sitting next to Moon the cat, and then um, Seiji comes up. They talk about the violin stuff. They start singing country roads again for like the fifth time of the movie which is wonderful and uh then the grandpa and his friends come in they're all singing together that scene's so good i love that scene it's and then uh it ends with them just fighting about uh her not knowing seiji's name before um and uh grandpa and his friends reaction laughing at it and i we're just and the audience reaction is to laugh at it like oh man that's how how wondrous like what a wondrous what a great ca- capturing of kind of this um young love in terms of uh their interactions with each other and how it, I, don't, I don't even know how to describe it just the it's like they're having this negative interaction but it's not actually you know negative it's just them getting everything out there so they can get past their stuff like that i don't even know if that's a good way to describe what's going on but it's it's hard to hard to describe i guess uh, that that all rings just rings very true to me, um, and just is really sympathetic portrayal for the two characters. Uh, the other great scene, Seiji coming up to her classroom, and then all of the classmates just you know reacting the way they do to that. That's such a great portrayal of um, how you know how obsessed all in anime is how Japanese school kids are with the, any sort of romance that happens in school. Um, because it's like a bigger deal, right? Uh, kids going out in Japan is maybe more commitment than in 
in uh, in here, the United States, not here because you may not be here. But uh, it's uh, and then they just all follow her up and they're spilling out the door. That's so, so funny and so just wonderful and bright. Uh, and then their discussion on the roof um, is is really is really great. Then, of course, the last scene uh, between with Seiji coming to pick Shizuku up and them um, them going. Uh, I Seiji's like I imagined I calling your name and you would come out and then you were and then they go up there and then they talk about everything and uh, and the, old, the real version of the film they he goes going back but uh, will you marry me and then as I talked about. Uh, it's, it's a really great scene. It's a little hard to understand culturally, but, um, maybe not culturally, just relate to like what's going on. It's kind of this complex thing. And I'm going to see each other for 10 years. That's kind of a long time. Uh, kind of. Yeah. When they're 14, for sure. Um, the big thing I guess I want to talk about as, uh, somehow we are over half an hour, we, in terms of me into this. Uh, so let's, let me kind of conclude by talking about this, uh, personal arc for Shizuku. Um, I, I really love Shizuku. She's so sympathetic. She's so real. She's so um, relatable and just this wonderful female protagonist. One of my favorites of all, one of my favorites of all time. Uh, in terms of my relations to her, when I was 15 watching this film, <laughs> uh, I was totally in love with Shizuku. I mean, she's great. Why wouldn't I be? And now it's because it's, and now it's like weird watching it seven years later. Uh, and it's, it's, uh, uh, Shizuku's just a little kid. <laughs> like, that's kind of how I I took it this time. Um, it's just a lot of her mannerisms and her actions and stuff are very kind of uh, immature. Intentionally, right? Because this is her finding herself. And uh, it's weird having this uh, disparate view on her kind of from before. And I can just remember watching it before, too. So it's interesting. I also think that uh, Yokohana, as I mentioned before, plays Shizuku younger than Britney Snow does. I don't think Britney Snow is intentionally playing Shizuku older. I think it's just how it comes out because her voice is like that. Uh, so it's it's much easier to see. It's like, why it just to see Shizuku is younger, and I think that's how you should see her in this. Um, her love of books and her love of um, storytelling, uh, and then she goes on this thing with Seiji, which is the main thing I want to talk about in terms of... It's like, I don't think the main point of this film is her romance with Seiji. It's nice and all. <laughs> You know, oh, it's it's nice and all finding true love at 14, if that's what it really is. I mean, the fil- this film does not have a skeptical bone in its body in terms of uh, be in terms of wondering whether that's actually true love or not. But uh, that's not the point, right? The point is uh, Suzuku ends up thinking that she should, like, further her... Uh, it's like, what's she going to do with... Uh, she's one great line at some point. Um, and she's, she's, she doesn't, she doesn't care about studying for the high school entrance exams. Uh, she just, she doesn't know what she wants to be doing. And she ends up deciding she wants to try to write after reading all, you know, these books, um, and trying to like better herself. And there's the whole thing with the unpolished, uh, gem and then the, uh, or not the, the rough gem and you have to find the thing inside. Right. Uh, and then it ends up, uh, her story includes Lapis Lazuli, and it's like nice Steven Universe reference there. No, not actually, but that's definitely that's how I saw this. Now it's like Lapis Lazuli. What? Okay, um, and uh, it's it, it's kind of interesting. It's hard to comment on, right? Because on one hand, uh, the, this film almost says that we need to find our place in society. Like it's almost it's almost easy to read it as that, um, which is something that I wouldn't be super sympathetic to, but. Also, it's about finding yourself 
outside of the strict confines of social expectations, which I think is evident in the scene where Shizuku is talking to her parents and um, uh, the dad ultimately encourages her to, you know, do what you want and come back to the exams later. Uh, and you can, he, he says, you can find yourself outside of what everyone expects or something like that. Um, don't remember the exact line now. And I think that's a great thing. That one I can be really sympathetic to. And uh, it's her, her like, uh, on one hand, it's, uh, it's compl- I have complicated feelings towards this. On one hand, it's like she says, okay, I need to have a specific goal. I need a specific thing. Um, and I don't know if I can relate to that too much, right, in terms of her uh, writing, her exact mission to I'm just going to write this book and that's like me finding myself and stuff like this. But I also don't think that's the point either, right? I think it's just her exploring what she what she not to just aimlessly read books and um oh here's the corny tagline to come up with this movie not to aimlessly read books and be enthralled in other stories but to find her own story you know i feel like that's kind of one of the main points here is that it's it's yeah she's literally writing her own story but she's also finding her own story with seiji with her interactions with uh you know her friends and stuff in school uh yuko and um just finding what she her place in the world and what she wants to do and uh, what she wants to literally do, but also how she wants to view the world. And uh, because what's great about Shizuku is that uh, she's disillusioned with um, her role in terms of what she wants to do in life and society and stuff like that. But she still has this wonderful, like wondrous sense of approach to the world. She goes outside and she sees the blimp and she's in ex- extremely Miyazaki moves. She's like, uh, in all of the blimp and she's like today's gonna be a great day um and that's just so sympathetic and so wonderful uh miyazaki of course loving um blimps and uh aircraft and stuff like that and uh it would totally make sense that uh his heroine in the film even though this is based off of a manga of course uh, although i can't assume not too heavily based right uh it could be though uh but miyazaki putting his own touches into shizuku what that's what's so great about Miyazaki written films is he has these he's not afraid to have female leads he has so many of them and he puts himself into female leads so many male writers just like can't wrap their head around how they could write a female character from their own perspective like Miyazaki just says it's this young girl and I I'm just going to approach it in terms of maybe how I viewed the world when I was young I mean I'm assuming but that's just such a refreshing thing to see um and I just love this outlook that he gives you. It's so relatable. Like, to all, Noah, what other 14-year-old character do I think is in, uh, captured how I felt that much at 14? Like, I I was kind of, haven't, you know, hadn't found uh, what's, how I viewed society or anything like that. And I still really haven't, honestly. But it's it's just also, and it's kind of like being, having this, almost kind of depressive look on the world but still kind of being upbeat about things like still things still make you there's still positives and stuff like that and capturing that uh is kind of difficult right because a lot of times it's either all out depressed or all out um yay right and it's life's not that simple really there's uh there's things that are there's times when there's uh depressing things and there's times when uh we the incredible world we live in you know makes you <laughs> wonderful i feel like i'm just trying to describe chizuku's perspective here right um and i i, I feel like that captured the miyazaki in writing this film captures it more than 
probably any other character I've seen. Um, so I, I mean, and you do, and he does it in this fourteen-year-old girl who uh, is finding herself. It's almost the perfect uh, character to do it with, I think. Um, coming of age of uh, this young person, I feel like it's a perfect, a perfect way to approach it. So I, I really love Shizuku. I love this. Um, you know, this finding yourself, bettering yourself element of it. It's it's hard to describe. It's hard. It's especially hard for us to wrap our head around because uh, I feel like if if uh, if I was Japanese, I would have a more solid... It's like you have to try to understand this almost foreign concept and then it's not a completely foreign concept, right? But just the emphasis on it and the relation to how that relates to society because other people um, are just... Uh, how other people view doing your best and stuff like that and rambling, but me. Uh, but yeah, it's 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 hard to describe and relate to, but it's something that works incredibly well, and it's something that justifies this romance, um, not because the romance kind of isn't super central to the film, and it's kind of wonderful at points, and I just love how it interacts with the main character and the main character's journey um to uh for self-discovery and for coming of age and ultimately i think that this film is a character study of shizuku um that's why i feel like the things that don't relate to shizuku as much the things that involve uh ashley tisdale and sujimura are uh yuko are uh little like kind of the weakest points of the film because uh because this is a shizuku's film and it's about her character and everything about her um and that's not super elegantly expressed right now about me but i think uh like i like i when we're me and sam were talking about on um the my neighbor totoro uh discussion we had it's like films are usually either plots plot films or character studies but uh, My Neighbor Totoro kind of is neither. It's kind of a thematic exploration, which is where we ended up with that. I think this film is purely a character study, and um, it's almost a thematic exploration too, uh, kind of, you know, finding yourself. That's a typical theme in movies, but uh, it's expressed really well in this character study of Shizuku, who I think is just one of the best characters uh, of all time, in my opinion. Okay. Anything else about... Whisper of that. I mean, there's a ton. Like this, this movie really is jam packed with them. I didn't talk about the fantasy sequence. I feel like that's one of the weaker points of the film as well, because uh, it's it's not super related to to Shizuku, and uh, it's her story, and it's nice to see her story, but I don't know if it's super necessary. Uh, yeah. So Seiji's character, I don't think he's that important, but. He's uh, kind of interesting, and once we really get to know the real uh, Seiji, it's nice. I love the, like I said, I love the Baron, and also the story of the Baron. I don't know why we got that insert thrown in about how uh, him and uh, Luisa and how he needs to meet her again, and that the Baron finds the other statue too. There's a lot. There's a lot of stuff in here. This this movie maybe could use 15 minutes trimmed for a more succinct thing, but it also is just great at establishing everything, everything around their world. So yeah, Whisper of the Heart, um, probably still my favorite film of all time, in conclusion. I hadn't seen it in a while, it's still incredibly wonderful. Um, and it's like what all slice of my movies should should uh, strive to in terms of character study, in terms of themes explored, in terms of world building. Uh, 
and I I maintain its realm with its reign as Queen of Slice of Life films. <laughs> so there you go. I'm Dylan Heisen. Uh, you can find out more about this podcast at OverlyAnimated.com, and you can support our Patreon at Patreon.com slash OverlyAnimated. Uh, thanks to our current patrons, Shana, Mitch, Cordell, Beatrice, Nate, Nate, Andy, and Jamie, a.k.a. Hannah, Mitch, uh, Fever Mitch, Cordell University, Beatrice Exchange, Buzz Like Your Mailman. Um, we really rely on your support for this podcast. Uh, no time time period specific in terms of when I'm recording this. No Moon Meme City discussion tomorrow because uh, Delaney's busy. We'll probably double up on episodes next week if we continue with the show. Uh, but we will have be covering tomorrow's Steven Universe episode then. So that's all. Um, let me know what you thought of this, me just rambling on and on in uh, in terms of this. I honestly don't know how I talked for 45 minutes and I don't remember what I said, so <laughs> that'll be interesting. Uh, let me know what you thought. It's probably not something I'm going to be doing anyway, but I would still appreciate the feedback. And thank you very much for listening, guys. Uh, oh, yeah, I guess I can plug myself. Dylan OVA on Tumblr. You can let me know there. And Dylan underscore OVA on Twitter. And uh, I'll see you next time, guys. Bye.